now. Uh, kia ora koutou. Oh, there's a train going past. <laughs> kia ora koutou kato. Greetings, everyone. Hi, mai, and welcome to the water field trip. I'm Andrew, the Learns field trip teacher, and it's just gone 9.15 on Wednesday, the 20th of March. Before we get underway, uh, I'll just start us off with a karakia. Whakataka tahou ki te uru, whakataka tahou ki te tonga. Kia mā kene kene ki uta, kia mā kene kene ki tai, kia hi ake ana te atākura, he tio, he huka, he hauhu, homie, huie, taikie. Right, well, this morning, guys, you're down on the farm. Damon Summerfields, Damon Summerfields Farm. And Shelley, who is filming at the moment, you can see in one of the little uh, boxes there. Um, as you can see right now is an irrigator. So Damon uses irrigation on his farm, and we're looking forward to talking more with Damon about how that all works here. Oh, and next to me is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is the um, CEO of Irrigation New Zealand. Also got Eddie the Feel. Uh, Eddie is missing his mate who was going to come from our speaking school this morning, Sancta Maria. Catholic Primary School. I still don't even know if Hong Kong Fui's turned up at my place. Um, so uh, I hope he's not permanently lost. I'm sure we'll get him back sooner or later. But anyway, um, so I must go on. So yeah, so this morning we're at Damon Summerfield's farm. It's a real grey day in South Christchurch this morning. Bit misty. But... Um, that's okay. We just carry on, don't we? Um, it's great to have all you guys here listening. There will be an opportunity at the end to ask Damon some questions about irrigation on his farm. So welcome all our listening schools and a special welcome to Sancta Maria Primary School, our speaking school this morning. Um, we had a great day yesterday, so make sure that you check out uh, the videos from yesterday, have a read of my diary and look at the images. And um, let's get underway with your questions. And just a reminder, guys, if you can get nice and close to the microphone or laptop or whatever it is that you're using. And if you introduce yourself with your first name so we know who we're speaking with, that would be fantastic as well. So let's have question number one, please. Okay, you, wait, wait, you go first. Come on, come on, come on. What does water do with our Turanga Waiwai? My name is Kaya. Okay, Kaya, that's question number four, but that's all right. We can deal with that. Have you answer that yep, one, sure. Elizabeth? Kia ora Kaya, thank you for your question. So Turanga Waiwai is uh, places where we stand. So places that we feel particularly connected to, um, whether that's through our culture or our community or emotionally. So waterways are a really important part of Turanga Waiwai. Um, you know, when people 
talk about do a mihi and talk about where they're from. They often reference their awa, so that's the river um, of the place where they're from. So a lot of people will have a special water body like a river that they feel especially connected to. For me, it's the Waitaki River, uh, which is the boundary between North Otago and South Canterbury. So when we um, think about how we use water for things like irrigation, the things that we need to think about when we take water out of rivers, lakes, groundwater, is that people have special connections to waterways. And that's one of the things that councils will think about when they allocate water to different uses. So we need to make sure that there's enough water in rivers and streams and lakes so that we can maintain people's special connection to those waterways. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, now we talked with um, uh, Ron, was it yesterday? John. 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 Sounds like Ron. John, we talked with John, um, who talked a lot about... Um, the importance you know the need to think about those different cultural aspects of a river before taking water from it so um check out that video what are those birds i can hear damon plovers yeah. really know you're on the farm don't you? <laughs> back to them um yeah they 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 run along the ground a lot in front of the tractor and stuff and um uh, we quite often see them uh, trying to get the tractor to go away from the nest or or, um, or something along those lines. Okay. Um, right. Okay. Let's move on to our next question, please. Sancta Maria. Um, hi, my name is Ricardo, and my question is, how is water made? Okay, Ricardo. Here's Elizabeth again. Kira, thank you for your question. Um, so water is made through something called the water cycle. Now, I've got a... Um, picture of it here which we you probably can't see that well um, through the screen but we're going to put it up on the website if it isn't already so that you can have a look at that and that describes how water is made so water is in a constant cycle um, so what happens if we start with the water that's in um, say lakes and uh, rivers and oceans is that it evaporates into water vapor so that's like when you boil water in a jug or a pot steam comes off it and goes up into the into the air and that's what happens through water warming off um, the oceans lakes and rivers so it goes up into the sky in a process called evaporation the water vapor in the air then groups together in clouds which is called condensation. When the clouds get too heavy, the water falls out of the clouds in a process called precipitation. And that can either be in rain or snow or hail. And it falls um, down to the ground. If it's snow, then that'll form snowpack on mountains. Um, it can freeze in frozen rivers called glaciers, um, or it goes into rainfall. That rainfall, the snow, it melts, and it eventually finds its way into rivers and streams. Some of that water in the rivers and streams goes out into the ocean and some of it goes down into the ground as what we call groundwater. And then the cycle starts again. So the evaporation process starts through the rivers and lakes and oceans and, and it goes back up into the sky. The water that goes into the ground can sometimes feed back into the rivers, the lakes and the ocean or it can get taken up by plants and the plants use that water to help them grow. And then plants give out water as well, and it goes out through their leaves. And that's called trans-evaporation. And it's all part of one big cycle that keeps repeating over and over again. But the water that's here on Earth now, that's it, isn't it? There's 
you can't make new water, can you? That's right. So we've well, we've got a we've got a limited amount of water on Earth, um, and we do. I think we've got a question coming up later on about the difference between seawater and freshwater. Um, but yes, it's certainly a limited resource, and although it does go round in a cycle, we have to make sure that we use it wisely so that there isn't shortages of water in some places at some times. Right. Okay, thanks very much. Another great question. We'll move on to question number three, please. Hi, my name's Matthias, and I was wondering um, why isn't there water everywhere? Okay. Uh, so that's... Do you mean why do some countries have more water than others? Is that Was that the original question? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so the way um, water is spread across the earth has a lot to do with weather and climate. Um, so some uh, countries are drier than others, and it's all to do with the, the cycles of weather um, as part of the climate cycle that goes around the earth. So places like New Zealand, um, we have a lot of water in New Zealand compared to other countries which are very, very dry. But the water in New Zealand isn't all in the one place. So when we think about the South Island, for instance, there's, um, the Southern Alps go right down the middle of the South Island. And because of that, the clouds that move across the Tasman Sea onto the South Island hit the Southern Alps and a lot of rain falls on the West Coast. So some places um, on the West Coast get up to five metres of rain every year. And if you think about a really high diving board at the pool, then that's five metres. So that's how much rain they get every year. But on the other side of the mountains, on the east coast where we are now, sometimes we only get half a metre of rain a year. And that's because of the geography of New Zealand. So the mountains change the way the rain falls. And so that means that some places are a lot wetter and some places are a lot drier. Uh, so places that are very dry, like the east coast, need irrigation on farms um, to help plants grow because without it, we wouldn't have enough rain to be able to grow things. And I believe that that's called orographic rainfall, um, where you get the, as the, the warm, moist air rises and cools, it precipitates or rains or snows, and then what's, what you got left is dry air, which comes back over, and, um, and that's why it's so much drier on this side. Thanks for your question, guys. Move on to our next question, please. Hi, my name is Akola, and why do we depend on water, and why do we need water? Why do we depend on water? Do you want to answer that one, Damon? Um, I, I think, yeah, happy to. Um, I, I think nearly all life, water is the most important thing um, for, for humans, plants, everything. Um, it's It's... It's a building block. It's um, it's, it's 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 something that we depend on. Um, we we have to have it, or or, or we die. Um, plants, animals, everything. It's 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 more important than food, um, and um, it affects uh, the way we the sorry the way plants grow, um, and um, it's. I won't go into the science of it, but it's it's absolutely vital to to um to the growth of plant, all plants. So, in terms of your farm, mm -hmm. um, 
how how vital is it that you have water at certain times within the growth cycle of of what you're growing here on the farm? Um, depending on the plants, um, they need a certain amount of water all the time. But at certain times, we can uh, we can make the plant grow better if we have if we can guarantee water at a certain time. Yeah, and um, uh, sunlight and water, and we're doing pretty well. Right, and so we'll talk more with Damon too about that whole idea of having been able to get that water through irrigation when when he needs it for the farm. So there could be periods, particularly in the summer, where there's long periods of, of no rain. Correct. And so being able to have that water is an essential part of what you do here. I, I probably roughly need water every 10 days. Yeah. And um, we can't rely on that. Um, and so we make a compromise. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, guys. So I've lost count of which questions. I'll just keep saying the next question until it's the end. Um, so we'll have our next question, please. Sancta Maria. Hi, my name is Kendrew. Andrew? Kendrew. Oh, I thought you said Andrew. Well, that's a great name. Um, my question is, how did the water get salty? How does water get salty? It's an interesting question. So the water in um, seas and oceans is salty and the water in lakes and rivers generally um, and groundwater is fresh water, so it's not salty. So the way that the water in the oceans gets salty, I'm not a scientist, but um, this is as I understand it. Um, as water passes over rocks in rivers and streams and lakes and finds its way out into the ocean, it takes with it little tiny, tiny, tiny fragments of rock and the, the minerals and the salts that are inside the rocks that it passes over. So it takes them out to sea and it stays there. Before I talked about the water cycle and I talked about water that evaporates off um, the sea and the oceans, like when you boil a jug or a pot of water at home. Now, this, as I said, the vapour that comes off um, that boiling water or that heated water um, uh, condenses into clouds. And when that evaporation comes off, that's fresh water. So the water vapour evaporates off and the salt and all the minerals and other things stay in the, stay in the ocean. But the water that comes off is perfectly clean, it's pure. So that means that when it condenses into clouds and falls back as rainfall into the lakes and oceans and uh, lakes and rivers and streams, that's fresh water. But once it got, hits the rocks and goes back out to sea, it all starts um, coming together because there's so much water in the ocean, all those minerals build up and build up and build up over time and they've created a salty ocean. So there you go. And don't drink it because it'll no, just make you more thirsty. <laughs> A little bit's okay. Um, okay, so thank you very much for that, and we'll up, up to our next question. Hi, my name is Alex, and my question is, how long can we live without water? Thanks, Alex. I'm not sure. I drink all the time. People can't, and animals can't, well, most animals can't live for very long without water. Um, people need to consume a lot of water every day um, through liquids that we drink and through foods that we eat. That's got water in it too. <laughs> it's very, very takes a drink of water. You drink that. <laughs> um, so yeah, people can't live very long. Um, as Damon said, it's more important than food um, in terms of how long we live. But uh, I think Damon's going to talk about how long his crops need before 
They don't. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. It depends. Um, it depends on how much they use, and uh, depends on on the stage of the plant and uh, and the weather. Uh, the weather is a big influence on the uh, demand for water for plants. So, um, if it's hot and sunny and windy, they need more water than if it's a daylight today where there's not much wind and there's not much sun. And that's because the wind and the sun speed up the evaporation process. Yeah, that's right. They speed up the transpiration of the plant. So the water is coming out of the plant just like it comes out of the sea. Um, on your uh, netball court, um, which has got a puddle, uh, that water doesn't go through into the ground. It goes up into the sky. And I guess that's a bit like us. Mm. The, the, the warmer it is and... Yep. The more we're sweating from maybe you know playing sport or something, the more we're going to need to replace those fluids. That's right. So on a hot day, um, you drink more because you get hot and sweaty. And also when you exercise, you need to replace the fluids that you've lost through sweat. Exactly. And after salty foods. Mm. So, you know, I said before how if you drink salt water, it actually makes you more thirsty. Mm. So salt, salt must have some sort of effect of taking moisture away from your body somehow good thing to look up a bit more about guys diuretics. yeah diuretics like tea takes liquid out of you that's why i don't drink it at night okay right moving on to our next question hi there my name is chloe and my question is how much water do farmers need to use Right, well, luckily for you, Chloe, we've got a farmer right here. Day one. Um, it's, it's, look, it's a similar story to before, but if I can talk um, big numbers, and, and, and we use a lot of water, um, and we use uh, what we call uh, cubic meters, which is a thousand liters of water. So, me uh, on my farm, I use 80 liters a second, and for that, I can irrigate approximately 200 hectares so um, if we wanted to round those figures 100 litres or 20 buckets of water per second for my farm and that's enough for me to to cope in the summertime that's a lot of water it's a lot of water per second and you think of all the different farms around the area there's a, there's a, there's a lot of water being used but it's quite amazing though because there's still a there's still a lot of water flowing down the river so there must be a heck of a lot that comes down these rivers that's that's right and um uh, i'm sure elizabeth has got the numbers but we use approximately for farming two percent of the water in, in in new zealand or canterbury i'm not sure so we use a very very small amount of the available water yep that's right. And like we talked about yesterday, um, there's rules in place um, for when irrigation schemes or farmers or um, even other places can use water. So if the rivers run low, um, like they do in the middle of summertime when it gets very hot and dry, if rivers drop below a certain level, um, people have to stop taking the water. Um, so that's why water storage is really important so that we can capture water when it's raining a lot and when it's flooding. Um, and then use that water later when it's dry to keep the rivers healthy so that there's enough water in them for the fish and the birds and um, all the other things that live in, in the river, as well as those other things like cultural values and things that we use rivers for, like boating and swimming. And fishing. Okay, so I just wanted to point to you guys down the bottom, there's the little chat function. So um, 
if you click on that, you'll see that Barry in the Learns office has very kindly um, put some things in there. So he's given you what a cubic meter is and how much the farm uses. So you could you could use that idea of cubic meters um, to yeah to maybe kind of have an idea of that measurement. So that's great. Um, and he's also summarised the questions that have been asked so far. Got any more questions, Sancta Maria? Because I've, I've completely lost count. Um, what what are we up to? Hi, I just want to give you a heads up. Some of the questions were sent through. I think I should realising um, some of the answers have been coming through to some of the questions. And now they've got a couple more questions that are being um, a little bit more curious. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I heard that. So there's a couple more questions, Andrew, from Sancta Maria. Okay, a couple more questions. That's great. Hello, my name is Haley, and how can we locate groundwater? Okay. <laughs> I'll do my best. Right, Elizabeth will do her best. Um, this is not an area that I know a lot about, so I can sort of give you my best um, answer that I can. Thank you for the question. Um, so um, groundwater can be very difficult to find and we don't know where all of it is, um, but scientists have some pretty sophisticated um, instruments that they can use um, to work out where groundwater is using ground penetrating instruments. Um, if we think that we know where groundwater is using those instruments, then we can drill what's called a bore, which is essentially a big um, a deep hole in the ground and you can drill down um, using a special um, piece of machinery until you find water and then um, the scientists can use uh, their, their equipment and um, mod computer models um, to work out how much water is there, how deep it is um, and where it comes from and how long the water has been in the ground because some groundwater moves very quickly like an underground river so it can move um, across meters uh, over, the, over a few days. Some groundwater is hundreds or thousands of years old and has been there for a long time and that depends whether the groundwater is surrounded by rock or whether it's surrounded by gravel um, or soil under the earth. So um, if it's gravel, then that means that the groundwater can move quickly through it. If it's surrounded by rock, it's, it's enclosed. So it's essentially um, trapped there. Um, but yeah, it involves a lot of uh, scientific equipment um, and computers to help understand it. Good question, Sector Maria. And you've got one more there for us. Um, my name is Leonard and I was wondering if fossil water can like evaporate. Yeah, we talked a bit about this fossil water, mm. which is very, very old water. Yep. Um, so if it's still there, probably can't really evaporate. No, it can't. So um, 
Fossil water is water that's been there for thousands, if not millions of years, um, either under the ground. And um, I just, I did a wee bit more homework on it last night. And I found out that there's actually fossil water in Antarctica as well, because the glaciers in Antarctica are so cold, they've been so frozen for so long, that there's fossil water under the glaciers. So no, it, it doesn't evaporate. I guess um, some of that fossil water in Antarctica may start to mingle with other fresh water under climate change, if Antarctica heats up a lot, but certainly those ones we talked about yesterday, those 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 fossil water aquifers in, in North Africa and um, the Middle East, they can't evaporate because they're so deep and like I said before, they're surrounded by rock under the ground, so there's no way for it to heat up and reach the surface. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much, Sancta Maria Catholic Primary School, for your questions this morning and being our speaking school. Um, and you did a really good job asking the questions. I hope you've gained some valuable information from that. Oh, you, Barry's holding his finger up. Is there one more, is there? From the teacher. From the teacher. Okay. okay. Oh, sorry, just getting on my knees. Apologies. Um, good morning. I'm Mr. G. Um, yeah. I had a question. Uh, just uh, There was brief mention yesterday with regards to glyphosate um, fertilizer. And um, we talk about um, pollutants and uh, agricultural runoff and so forth, pollution in, in the water. Um, my concern is the health implications associated with glyphosate fertilizer. It's been in the news, the World Health Organization has spoken about it. Um, what's New Zealand doing um, in regards to maybe limiting, limiting its use so we get less um, essentially pollution from it or runoff from it? Yeah. Good question. I mean, because, you know, I've been using glyphosate to spray weeds around my house and I've suddenly become very aware of exactly how and when I'm using it. But Damon, Damon here can give you some ideas about that. Um, first of all, glyph <coughs> excuse me. Uh, glyphosate's a herbicide, so it kills plants. Um, Fertiliser runoff is an issue and then glyphosate... Um, as a, a traceability thing. So there's the, there will be some glyphosate in food. Now, it's just a question of how much. Now, to give you an idea of what we use, um, once a year, on average, I might spray a paddock with glyphosate. And I will use approximately one kilogram per hectare of the product. So over 10,000 square metres, I will apply one kilogram of product. And when that hits the soil, it it um, um, it becomes inert, and it's no longer uh, it doesn't work anymore. Um, but it works by uh, attaching to green. Green plants absorb the glyphosate, and they suck it down into their roots, and it kills the plant. So we use it as a tool to 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 save using other other tools. That may be uh, cultivation. So. Um, with that, we, we, I, I use it a lot for, for my grass paddocks. Um, when I finish with grass and I want to put a crop into them, I will spray glyphosate over the green grass and that'll make it brown and that'll save me a couple of trips over the paddock with the tractor. Um, so it saves a lot of fuel, a lot of uh, emissions, a lot of work and a lot of money. Um, but it's, glyphosate is, is one of the most important uh, chemicals in farming. Um, it's it's transformed farming since we've had that available to us, and and, and without it, I, I can uh, it would food would become very expensive.
Mm, interesting. Elizabeth, you had a couple of things to add? Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, people are very concerned about the health effects of it at the moment. Um, uh, the, the things that have been in the news have been about, say, um, people who have been using um, glyphosate um, a long time over their working life. So part of their job is um, spraying it and it's how that's affected their health as they've been exposed to it. As I understand it, there isn't necessarily agreement amongst scientists as to what a safe level of exposure necessarily is. And I think that there's probably a lot of studies that are going on at the moment to try and work out exactly what that is. Um, a lot of uh, regional councils will have rules about um, weed uh, removal and control of things like weeds on riverbanks um, and also in the beds of rivers. And so that would include things like the use of herbicides, um, and often that is required to be done in a controlled manner using a correct permit um, and that sort of thing. So there's certainly rules around how it can get used near waterways and that sort of thing. But as I understand it, glyphosate doesn't get readily transported in water um, because, as Damon said, um, once it's used by the plant, it, it becomes inert once it hits the soil. And that's the same with water. Um, but certainly the, the, the main health concern at the moment is, is lifelong exposure to it and what's a safe level. There you go, Mr. G. All right, so what we're going to do now, guys, is um, I pointed you before to the, the chat window. So uh, we've finished with our um, formal questions from our speaking school, Sancta Maria, and, and thank them very much again for that. So if you'd like to now direct some questions while we've got Damon here on the farm. And look, we're on the farm. Look, I've got, I've got my gumboots on. So we're definitely on, and we're sitting on hay bales, and there's a tractor in the background. So we, we've got Damon here um, to answer your questions about the irrigation that he uses here on the farm. So this now, your, now is your opportunity. And there, is one, there is one there from the boys, the Thompson twins. Ah, uh, yep. Okay, so that's our first question from the Thompson Twins. Have you heard or do you know about planes spraying or rockets spraying metals to make it rain or affect cloud formation? <laughs> well, is this like chemtrails? <laughs> yeah. So there is, there is something called cloud seeding, I believe it is, but I don't know much about it. Um, da either. Damon might be able to answer more questions. So I've certainly heard of it, but I can't give you any details. That might be something to do a bit of homework on. Yeah, I would suggest doing some homework on it too. Um, my understanding is that the Chinese are leading this and they do, they do practice um, cloud seeding in, in China. I'm not sure how successful it is, um, but regarding planes um, spraying agricultural chemicals, absolutely, that's, uh, that's very common and has been for a long time. Um, I don't use uh, aircraft, but um, some of my neighbours do, and, and certainly in the, in the hills, they use planes for spreading fertiliser and mm. for, for um, killing weeds, um, especially noxious weeds. Uh, a lot of glyphosate is used um, to kill gorse and broom to control uh, noxious weeds that, that we need to keep under control. Well, this is all new, new to me, not, not, not the spraying, like top dressing that um, you're referring to, Damon, but this whole cloud making. Mm. Very interesting. Thompson Twins, a very curly question. Um, so 
I'm going to try and find out more about it. I've heard of this thing called chemtrails where, you know, you see a, like a trail left by an aeroplane um, high up in the sky. But, um, and they reckon that they, they, the conspiracy theorists reckon that they're poisoning the planet with it. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any evidence. But yeah, no, it sounds like, sounds like the people, um, people in other places are trying to make it rain. Billy saw a video on Epic about, (laughs) he's very curious, I guess that means. So, um. I've put one in there, Andrew, to get things going. The Thompson twins um, look like you're in more of a permanent settlement at the moment. Not our clan in the caravan, as usual. I'm trying to look for that question, Barry. Straight above the Thompson twins. What impact do you think climate change will have on irrigation and farming in general? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see it now. Uh, oh, okay. But it was preceded with, I think, Christchurch City stopped using glyphosate in the city a year or so ago. Okay, what impact do you think climate change will have on irrigation farming? Very good question. What do you reckon, Damon? Uh, Well, I think the main thing is we don't know how climate change will affect us, Um, but it will affect us. It will change things. Um, And for for a cropping farmer like myself, an arable farmer, um, water is the without being able to control the, that's the thing that affects my yield the most so with irrigation i have more control over that um if we assume that it's going to get hotter and drier and and, and where i am i will need more water and um, more reliable water or i will grow crops that require less water um but that will limit obviously what's available to to to, to you consumers of um food um, but basically we, we, we'll have to adapt and um, if, if it gets hotter and drier we'll need more water and perhaps more water storage will be, will be the key to it that'll uh, allow us to go longer without water. Yeah, so that's, that's what I was sort of thinking because we kind of mentioned it yesterday about there might be periods where there's you know, longer bouts of dryness um, and, then where, and then where it rains intensely for shorter periods. So you're still getting a similar amount of rain over a course of a year, but there's longer periods of dry and shorter periods of wet. So that whole water storage thing's possibly a good idea. Yeah, that's that's right. So that's what a lot of the forecasts are saying is that it'll get drier for longer. And then when it does rain, it'll rain a lot all at once. And that's got a, the real potential to cause um, flood, flooding damage. Flooding is one of the biggest major disasters that we have over the course of time in New Zealand. So it's something that we need to be really prepared for. And so water storage has two benefits in that respect. It can protect um, towns and, and people from and animals from flooding, but it can also mean that we've got water available during those long dry periods when we need it, whether that's for irrigation or drinking water in towns or um, actually um, um, supplementing or adding water into streams and rivers that are running dry um, to, pr- to protect the wildlife and the ecosystems within those rivers. Um, so there's a whole range of reasons why we're probably going to have to think about how we um, manage our water in the future in New Zealand because climate change is going to be very different from, from how we live now. Thanks for that, guys. Um... Nick Grant, how do you measure or keep track of your water usage on the farm? 
estimates or meters? Uh, no, very, very accurate records. Um, uh, I think it's every 15 seconds. Um, I have a water meter on, on, on my, um, uh, my turnout where, where the water comes out of the pipes from the irrigation scheme and it measures every litre and it's uploaded to the, to the server. Um, I think it's every 15 seconds, but it's in constant radio communication and um, I can look it up on my phone. I can see instantaneous. I can look at a graph of the water that I've used in litres per second or, or, or cubic metres, a, a, a volume or, or, or a rate of water take. Um, so, no, we, keep, we have very accurate records and um, it's controlled by the company. Which company? Uh, well, in my case, uh, there's various different irrigation companies in, in the country. Um, in my case, it's Central Plains Water. Um, that's the company that, that I've invested in to supply me with water. Right. So is that the same on, on all farms, irrigation, irrigated farms? Do they all have that same technology to provide that accuracy? Um, most farms, um, different farms have different types of technology um, on farm, but um, uh, it's become a requirement now that water use is all metered um, and all that information has to get provided back to um, the councils who make sure that the amount of water that's getting taken is not more than the rivers or the lakes or the groundwater can sustain. So um, irrigation schemes like Central Plains Water have to make sure that they are taking the right amount of water so they are all metered and then once the water comes to the farms like Damon said it's metered there as well. So it does vary around the country um, but yeah, everyone who takes a, a certain amount of water above a certain amount of water has to meter that so that it's um, so that everyone knows that they're doing the right thing and not breaking the rules. And a meter, M-E-T-E-R, is like a device for counting. It's like it's a, it's it's you have a an electric meter yep. that tells you how much power you're using, and the water meter tells you how much water you're using. Correct. Do you get water from an aquifer or from a lake or storage ponds? Uh, what is an aquifer? Well, an aquifer is, is water that's underground. Correct, yeah. Um, so you can store water in a lake or in a river or in an aquifer. So um, I'm uh, perhaps unusual. Um, I use water out of the ground, an aquifer, for my house, for my domestic supply. So that what, we, what we drink and what we bathe and what we use for cooking um, is all supplied out of a, a, a small uh, bore in the ground. Um, and that supplies me with... Um, less than one litre per second. It's a very, very small amount of water. Um, and that was very common in, in Canterbury. And then for the irrigation, um, all of the water for me personally comes out of the Waimakariri River and it goes into a lake that, that we built to store water um, for, for times of when there's no rain. And, and then it's piped to me. So I get water from aquifers and for, from, from my house. But for the farming, uh, all of my water comes out of the river. Is that the Sheffield storage pond? That is the Sheffield storage pond, Andrew. Yes, that's correct. So we went there yesterday um, and, yeah, it's more like a lake. <laughs> it's, a it's 35 hectares um, in a, above, a, a, a built above ground, but it covers 35 hectares. And can hold 2 million cubic metres. 2 million thousand litres of water, that's right. 2 million thousand litres. Yeah. If that helps. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, Hillary Hub, 
Will a filter eliminate any key elements for a healthy river to survive? Well, I guess so, but I don't know how you would get a filter to filter all the water that comes off the land into rivers. Mm. Hey. So there's um, so there's two. When we talk about um, pollution that affects water quality, there's two types really. There's um, what's known as point source. And so that's water that comes out of a pipe basically um, into say a river or a lake. And then we have um, non-point source or what's known as diffuse pollution. And it's called diffuse pollution because it doesn't come from one pipe. It comes from water that's either running off over the ground or through ground through the ground into groundwater or lakes and rivers. Um, so you can it's much easier to control the water the, the what's in water coming out of a pipe than it is to control what's um, coming into waterways through diffuse pollution. And so that's the same for farms, but it also, it's the same as for um, urban areas as well. So like we talked about yesterday, um, there can be runoff coming off um, forests and um, farmland and other rural areas that have uh, elements of phosphorus and nitrogen in them that go into waterways. And then equally in urban areas, the rain that falls on roads, um, gardens, footpaths, takes all the dirt and minerals and elements like zinc off those hard waterways and it goes into, uh, hard surfaces, sorry, and it goes into waterways as well. So things like, oh, if you see dog poo, on the footpath, that's going to end up in the um, in the waterway when it rains. So it's important for everyone to try and minimise the amount of pollution that comes off um, land, whether that's in towns or or on farms. Um, it's uh, and like I say, you can put it's easier to put a filter on a pipe, but it's not so easy to put a put a filter on those areas where the where the water's coming off a large area of land. Good idea though, and wetlands, of course. Um, you know, the more of those, the better, because wetlands are like a natural filter uh, for water coming and passing through those, the plants that are in wetlands, those those plants can hold on to sediments and other kinds of chemicals, and they effectively clean the water before releasing it down the stream. Guys, so we've got time for one more question here, which is great, because we've got one more question, and it's from... Nick Grant, again, which job or occupation in New Zealand uses the most water? And oh, that's from Manu. It's probably farming. Mm. Don't know. Do you know, Elizabeth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it depends, yeah, it depends how, you, um, how you quantify that. So um, in terms of um, uh, the way uh, water that's taken out from a source and used in farming, um, for like for likes of irrigation, yes, agriculture is one of the major users of water in New Zealand. Um, but the important thing to remember with that is that the water doesn't disappear; it goes through that water cycle. So it'll permeate back through ground, it's released through um, plant um, transpiration and things. Um, hydroelectricity is a major user of water in New Zealand as well, because we have a lot of um, renewable energy in New Zealand. So all the water that passes through the hydro lakes, um, through dams and hydro canals that's a use of water as well so although it's staying on you know in a, in a source that we can see um, it's changed the way that, that the water behaves and it's taken it away from its natural sort of course so um, yeah those are the two main uses of water in New Zealand 
Well, some great questions this morning, guys, uh, both from our speaking school and our listening schools. Thanks very much for being a part of our second web conference. Our final one uh, for tomorrow will be at the same time at 9.15, and you're more than welcome to join us. It will be great to have you with us. Um, remember, just have a look at the videos, which will be up from yesterday. So check those out. And again, have a read of my diary, look at the images. And this web conference is also available as a recording, which will be up um, at some stage this morning. Shout out to Fire Barrington from Kitty Kitty. I saw your video on just before, so now I know who it is behind the blank screen there. Um, thanks, everybody. I hope you all have a really fantastic day. It's kakitaono for us. How about you all unmute now and say a big goodbye. Kakite. Bye. 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 So you have a great rest of the day. That brings our web conference to an end. Go get to the Arnold.